Our second Bible reading today is John 11, verses 17 through 45. You can see we've also printed the start of chapter 11. We'll take a quick look at that later. But our reading begins at verse 17 at the bottom of page 10. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. 
please do keep those pages open because we'll be referring to that Bible passage during the sermon. Let's now bow our heads to pray for God's help. It says in Luke chapter 24, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Father in heaven, we pray for that to happen here and now. Would our minds be opened by the Spirit of Christ? Amen. When I was a seminary student, I once had to go on a group visit to a funeral parlour. It was a seminary requirement, part of our training for ministry. We went to a small family-owned firm and the funeral director there told us about his daily work. While he was talking to us, I found I could not take my eyes off a coffin in the middle of the room. There was no one in it. It was just an empty casket. But the thought hit me as if for the first time that I was going to end up in one of those myself. There really would be a time when I'd be lying down flat in one of those wooden boxes with no breath coming out of my mouth. The people standing around the coffin would have warm beating hearts like normal, but mine would be cold and still. The sight of that coffin a few feet away from me made me face the fact of my future death in a way I'd never done before. And this morning, if you don't mind, I'd like you to have the same thought process I had in that funeral parlour. Can I gently ask you to consider your own future death? Which of course could happen at any time. I'd like you to imagine the clods of earth being shoveled down onto your coffin. A sight you yourself won't see and a sound you won't be able to hear. Why am I asking you to take part in such a morbid thought process? It's because according to today's Bible passage, Jesus can get a person through death, through the soil and the worms and up and out the other side to live forever. He says in verses 25 and 26 on page 11, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying that he has the antidote to death. Now, Jesus makes that astounding claim while talking with a woman named Martha. They have a conversation that actually stretches out over three separate scenes. Each scene happens in a different place. And we're going to spend the rest of the sermon looking at each of the three scenes in that conversation between Jesus and Martha. Then we'll think about the significance of their conversation for our own lives. Scene one happens on the far side of the Jordan River, which is where Jesus is based at this point in time. If Jesus and Martha conversation were a TV show, we might see text on the screen telling us that location, the far side of the Jordan River. Martha is on the near side of the Jordan. She's west of it. So this first part of the conversation between Jesus and Martha is long distance communication. Please look down with me to verse 3, back on page 10. 
The sisters, that's Martha and her sister Mary, sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love, that's their brother Lazarus, is ill. The sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. It's a polite way of saying, Jesus, please come and heal Lazarus ASAP. We get Jesus' reaction in verses 5 and 6, and at first sight, his reaction is hard to understand. Now, Jesus loved Martha, it says in verse 5, and her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What's going on? If Jesus loves that family, why does he wait for an extra two days? We find the reason for the delay in verse 4, Jesus explains that Lazarus's illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. For the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In John's Gospel, Jesus is glorified when he reveals his glory as the Son of God. He's glorified when he reveals his godness. So Jesus is saying, it's time for one of those occasions again. It's time for him to be glorified again. It will have something to do with Lazarus's illness, and it will show people Jesus really is the Son of God. By waiting for two extra days, Jesus is setting everything up for a miracle that will reveal his glory. And one of the people who particularly needs to see that glory is Martha. Let's move on to scene two in Jesus' conversation with Martha. The location for this scene is near Bethany in Judea. That's the text on the TV screen. Near Bethany in Judea. Bethany is Martha's hometown. When Jesus arrives, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We have to keep in mind that Martha would have known when Jesus received her message. The message would most likely have been taken by a local messenger who would then have returned to Bethany. The round trip would have taken several days, possibly as much as a week. The sisters must have hoped Jesus would come right away with the returning messenger. The messenger comes back and Jesus isn't with him. As we know from verse 6, Jesus is waiting out there on the other side of the Jordan for an extra two days. Later in the passage, we find out that Lazarus has already been dead for four days by the time Jesus arrives. So Martha probably says those words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She probably says those words with frustration and confusion in her voice. She knows when the messenger returned. She knows Jesus didn't hustle to get to Bethany. We can tell she's disappointed in Jesus because she goes on to say in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's not saying, even now I believe you can bring Lazarus out of his tomb, because later she tries to stop Jesus opening up the tomb. The idea that he might raise Lazarus from the dead hasn't occurred to her. When she says, 
But even now, in verse 22, she's expressing her disappointment in Jesus. It's like a coach saying to a team after a bad loss, but even now, even after that disappointing performance, I still think you can reach the playoffs. Martha has great respect for Jesus. She says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But that's the kind of thing someone might say to a regular prophet. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's not treating Jesus as God come down. She's not treating him as someone who never makes mistakes and can always be trusted. It's as if she's wearing a veil over her face and as she looks at Jesus, she doesn't see him clearly. She doesn't see him for who he really is. She doesn't see that he is God come down from God, the Son of God walking on the earth. Let's keep listening to scene two of Jesus and Martha's conversation. I'll read from verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Those were normal words of comfort among Jewish people at that time. They believed a day was coming when everyone who has ever lived will rise again to face God. And they called that future event the resurrection. Jesus and Martha are saying exactly what we'd expect them to say to each other after the death of a loved one. Your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But what Jesus says next is far from normal. He says, I am the resurrection. There it is in verse 25. I am the resurrection. Just now I said the Jewish people believed in a future day called the resurrection when all the dead would rise to face their maker. And they were right to believe that. It's what the Bible teaches. But look at what Jesus does with that future day in verse 25. He pulls that resurrection event into himself. I am the resurrection, he says. In other words, rising from the dead happens when someone encounters Jesus and believes in him as God's son, because he gives life. Through Jesus, people who are spiritually dead, dead in God's sight, come alive and live forever. We need to be clear, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's not throwing out the whole idea of a future day of resurrection. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus himself talks about a coming day when all the dead will be raised for judgment. And that judgment, Jesus says in John chapter 5, will decide everyone's eternal future, either life or God's condemnation. Jesus isn't denying that essential truth. What he's saying is that eternal life begins for the believer before that future day. Through trusting in Jesus, we enter into a personal relationship with God now, and that's life. That relationship is life as it's meant to be, and life that goes on forever. Eternal life isn't like a rock concert that starts after you die. 
It's like having the rock star in your life now, as well as after you die. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. If you have him, the resurrection, in your life, then eternal life has already begun for you. You've been raised from the dead. At the end of verse 26, Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? That challenge suggests maybe she doesn't. It suggests Jesus is lovingly seeking to bring Martha over the line into personal faith in him as God's son. Martha says in reply, yes, Lord, I believe. What she says in the original language could be translated, yes, Lord, I've always believed. Hmm. That's interesting because earlier we saw she was disappointed with Jesus and treated him more like a prophet than as God come down. There is a question mark over Martha. She says she believes, but does she truly believe? It's time for scene three in our, this ongoing conversation between Jesus and Martha. Scene three happens at Lazarus's tomb. That's the text on the TV screen for this third and final scene. Lazarus's tomb. I'll read from verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Martha tries to stop Jesus. She doesn't trust that he knows what he's doing. It is more evidence that she doesn't really believe he's really God come down. And so Jesus questions her faith once again. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, there is a question mark over Martha's faith. Is it for real? Is it the genuine article? Martha backs down at that point because according to verse 41, the stone is taken away. Then after praying, Jesus speaks into the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. Imagine being Lazarus at this point in time. There you are, lying in the cool of the tomb, except you're not aware that it's cool because you're dead. And then you hear your name being called Lazarus. That's, that's me. Come out. I think the first thought to go through your mind as you come back to life would be, oh, what an absolutely terrible smell. I hope that's not me <laughs> making that smell. You struggle to your feet to head towards the voice and away from the smell. There's some kind of cloth around your head, but you can't take it off because your arms are sort of strapped in. And then you feel someone's hands taking away the head covering. Daylight bursts into your vision. And once your eyes get used to it, the first thing you see is a group of people looking at you and with the exception of Jesus, they are all looking at you like this. 
They're watching a dead man come back to life after four days rotting in his tomb. Now here at Good Shepherd, we believe that Jesus' miracles really happened. We believe they are historical facts. But as well as actually happening, Jesus' miracles often picture a truth that he's trying to get across. And it's like that with Lazarus. Lazarus is a picture of what happens with believers. We were dead, spiritually speaking. From God's point of view, we were walking corpses. We were unresponsive to him. Just one long flat line on the spiritual heart monitor. And then we heard Jesus' voice. We heard his word, the gospel. And what happened? We came to life. We came out of the tomb, away from the darkness and stench of life without God. Jesus' voice summoned us into a world filled with new light, a world with him in our life. When we heard his voice, we were raised from the dead. If you became a Christian after childhood, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll remember the before and the after. If, on the other hand, you've been a Christian your whole life, you won't have a memory of your own resurrection, but it happened. There is a natural version of you, a dead-to-God version of you, that still pops out when you sin. And when you were young, that naturally dead version of you was given new life through Jesus. Too long ago for you to remember, but it happened. Well, everything we've just been thinking about means Lazarus's resurrection wasn't the only resurrection that happened on that day in Bethany. His empty tomb wasn't the only empty tomb on that day, spiritually speaking. Take a look at the last verse of the passage, verse 45. It says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. The people in verse 45 are trusting in Jesus. And we've just been thinking about what happens when people do that. When people trust in Jesus, they come alive to God forever. So those people in verse 45 are actually getting a better resurrection than Lazarus on that day in Bethany. Lazarus came out of his tomb for a few more decades in, of life in this world. But the people on that day who trusted in Jesus as God's Son came out of their tombs, spiritually speaking, forever. Did you notice that not everyone who was present on that day put their faith in Jesus? Verse 45 says, many, but not all. Others went home that day without faith in Jesus as God's son. A Bible commentator named Donald Guthrie puts it like this. Many saw Lazarus come from the grave, but never saw the glory of God. End quote. The miracle was meant to act as a sign pointing people towards Jesus' glory, but there were some people present who didn't travel the distance, if you see what I mean. They didn't travel from the sign to what it pointed 
towards Jesus' divine glory, his godness. Perhaps they had doubts about the miracle. They might have thought it was an elaborate trick, a hoax. Or perhaps they were so wowed by the miracle, so excited to have Lazarus back with them again, that they didn't stop and think, the person who did this must be the Son of God. Jesus did what only God can do. When he said, Lazarus, come out, he spoke into the darkness and life rushed in. Only God can give life through his word. That's what he did at the beginning of creation. But looking at verse 45, some of the people present didn't process the sign properly. They were asleep on their feet, if you like. They were in the presence of glory and they slept through it. What about Martha? Was she among the new believers mentioned in verse 45 or was she among the sleepers? We're not told. And because we're not told, we are left with what we've come to know about her from earlier in the conversation. She's an example of someone who didn't grasp that Jesus really was God come down. She didn't look to him as her divine Messiah. The three scenes are now complete. We've learned that Jesus gives eternal life to those who trust in him. Life that doesn't start sometime in the future, it starts as soon as someone believes. What difference should that make to us today? Well, perhaps there is a modern day Martha among us, or listening online. Like Martha, your faith in Jesus is questionable. Like Martha, you admire Jesus, perhaps, but you haven't yet taken hold of the truth that he was God come down into our world. Surely the time has come for you to worship Jesus as your God. The good news of Christianity is that forgiveness is available to believers. We're all of us guilty in God's sight, but Jesus has made forgiveness available to those who believe. When he died on the cross, he received God's punishment in our place. If you have a bug screen on your window, it will shield your apartment from mosquitoes and flies. Jesus' death is like that. It acts like a screen shielding us from God's anger and punishment. But you have to trust in Jesus' death to gain its benefits. To disbelieve in the power of the cross is to reject what Jesus offers. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus' death as the screen that shields you from God's condemnation, please trust in the power of the cross today. Jesus showed that his promises can be trusted. When he rose from the dead, the empty tomb celebrated around the world on this Easter day. It's because Jesus rose never to die again that we can confidently trust in him as the one who gives never-ending life. And what about those of us who already trust in Jesus? We've seen that eternal life has started for us. It began when we first believed. 
And that means we should put death in its proper place. We need to take to heart just how small death is for the believer in verses 25 and 26. It's still there for the believer, but just look at how small it is. I'll read those verses again, 25 and 26. Listen out for the death part in those verses. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Death gets a brief nod of the head in those three words, though he die. But those three words are crowded out by life on either side. For the believer, death is like a swing door with life on both sides. The best is yet to come. The best is on the other side of that swing door. But we already have life now on this side of the door because we already know Jesus personally. When I think back to that visit to the funeral parlor during my seminary training, my future death seemed like such a big thing. It horrified me to look at that coffin in the middle of the room and imagine myself in it. For the believer, there is a very real sense in which our own death is not a big thing at all. Yes, there's sadness when believers die. In verse 35, Jesus weeps in front of Lazarus's tomb. He joins with the other mourners and weeps. And yet, despite the sadness of death, when we look at verses 25 and 26, we see that for believers, death is a swing door, a momentary barrier in front of us. In verse 25, death gets a three-word nod of the head. In verse 26, Jesus doesn't even mention it at all. Everyone who believes in me, he says in verse 26, shall never die. Believer, have you put death in its proper place? Unless Jesus comes back first, you will die, and your cold, unresponsive body will be placed in the tomb. This world, the car horns, the bird song, will carry on without you. Don't let that thought fill you with horror. Believer, you have life already, resurrection life, because Jesus is in your life, and he always will be. Let's bow our heads to pray. Thank you, Father, for the life you lovingly offer us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you that he has the antidote to death. Please strengthen us to keep trusting in him. Amen.